Hey everyone, this is the Three Camps Podcast, and we are going to launch the second part of an episode that we are calling Trail Magic, but actually uh, something happened since the last time we spoke. Our good friend Carol Yonan died. We've talked about Carol before on the podcast. She taught sewing during the summer, uh, which has come up a few times as being an activity that people love to do. And as you may remember, for one of our recap of the summer episodes, specifically for Brookwoods and Deer Run, I had on Liddy Orozco as my co-host. And on that episode, she actually calls Carol her mentor, which is in fact what Carol was to Liddy. She taught her how to teach the sewing classes and do other things, but she actually had a bigger impact than just that. And Liddy called in with a voicemail remembering Carol. Hey, John and Seth, I hope you guys are doing great. And thank you so much for uh, making this podcast and having the camp community connected. As you may know, recently we lost our dear Carol Jonan, uh, our lovely grandma, as the kitchen staff used to call her. Um, we just love her. She was so much fun to be around. And uh, I want to tell you guys a little bit of my experience with her this summer. I could share so many things about my fairy godmother, as I used to call her during the summer, because she literally took me to buy shoes for the Diron banquet and helped me design a pair of pants for one of my dates with my boyfriend. That sounds a lot like a Disney movie, right? But I would love to share with you guys what I saw in Carol's sewing class. Carol gave me a very sweet lesson one day uh, because a child in our class was telling us how sad his year was during pandemic, how broken and hurt his family was. And in the last day of class, he was working in the sewing machine, joining two pieces of fabric to make pajama shorts and completely messed up. The kid went off to the other activities frustrated that there was no more time to fix his project and Carol took the pajamas to her room and worked on them that night. She carried apart by herself, thread by thread, and restitched them where they were supposed to be. The next day, the children saw with his own eyes those wonderful pajamas as a representation of the beauty of restoration. As Ecclesiastes 3.7 says, there is a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. Carol showed Jesus in a very sweet way. Sometimes our lives are like those pajamas. We messed up terribly or we are so broken. But just that extra mile that Carol did to fix these kids' pajamas made me think of the joy in God's restoration. Not just for pajamas, but also for our dreams and our relationship with our family and our own relationship with God. So that was Carol giving herself in love for others, loving camp, and very passionate for camp, and enjoying her sewing class. Some of the girls on the staff will see me with Carol at lunch and 
they will say, oh, Carol is the grandma we all dream of having. Fun, modern, wise, and very pretty. She's the perfect example of how God provides godly people at camp to walk with you during the summer, whether you are a camper or a staff member. She gave her time to talk and pray for me as I was dating my future husband, Colin Finlayson. She will challenge me with deep questions and very godly conversations from woman to woman. We love her and we will continue to stitch our lives together with Jesus' help until we meet again. Well, we've done this sort of thing once before, and I want to reiterate that in these moments, we're not trying to do a poor memorial for Carol Yonan. Instead, we just want to remember our friend. Carol has been a part of staff here for the last five years, and I had the pleasure of knowing her for three of those years. She came to be a staff member at camp by way of her daughter, Melissa Yonan, someone who, if you don't know, I would categorize as somebody who is maybe one of the biggest fans that there's ever been of camp. But Carol, you know, she got it. I think she came here and she understood what was going on here and she bought in. In the roles that she played, I would say she was relatively unsung. I mean, people knew who she was, but it was never about Carol. It was never the Carol show. I think she came and she really ministered to kids. She saw the value in that and then went about her day. It's neat to hear Liddy talk because I don't think I understood that even the international kitchen staff that I had had a special relationship with Carol. And, you know, it seems like she kind of had a heart for ministering to people who might be considered kind of on the fringe of what was going on at camp. In fact, I can even say from experience, I would be working late nights in the kitchen and Carol would come in looking for a piece of fruit or something sweet. And, you know, after a long day, she'd kind of hit me with just a piece of encouragement that was uh, well-timed. And I will miss those times. In a unique way, I would say that Carol was understated and frank at the same time. She, she didn't seem to have any problem speaking her mind. She had a sense of humor about a lot of things that went on here, which was refreshing. She had a great smile, a quiet wisdom, and she liked it here. She made an impact here on campers and staffers alike. And in this summer, which is not too far away, I just know there's going to be times in the dining hall where I'm going to look up and wish I saw Carol sitting at one of those first two staff tables. We'll miss you, Carol. Thank you for the work that you did here. And we'll keep a seat open for you until we see you again. Technically, it's three camps. We have three different encampments. Camp Brookwoods. Brookwoods. Camp Deer Run. Camp Deer Run. River Outpost. Camps. Moreau and Brookwoods. Deer Run. River Outpost. The Three Camps Podcast. With your hosts, John Cooper and Seth Coates. Three Camps Hey, John. Hey, I just wanted to leave a quick voicemail. Um, I heard you were talking about trail magic, and uh, I had a great story of a time I was on a camp trip and experienced the benefits of trail magic. Um, it was a couple days. I was, uh, I was one of the counselors, like the guides, uh, leaders of the trip. Um, I think there were like six campers, and then um, my female co, uh, we were guiding these 
the campers on the Vermont Long Trail, and, uh, you know, we just had put up with, like, a day of rain. Uh, we were, like, hiking in the rain, like, probably nothing's crazy, nine miles or so, but, you know, midsummer, Vermont, uh, we were really hot and, you know, just soaking wet, and the morale was low, but uh, I remember... One story in particular, we're like, again, mind you, we're in the middle of nowhere, like, hiking on a trail, and we come to this, like, creek crossing, and uh, there was a sign on a tree uh, that said Trail Magic, and I, like, had no idea what that meant at the time, and I looked down into the creek, and there was, like, a mesh, a white mesh bag uh, filled with sodas, like, in the water getting cold, and I was like, I had, like, what? Like, this weird moment of, like, what is this all about? And, like, I walked over to the bag. We all talked, took a break. And, like, I walked over to the bag, opened it. And, like, I was, like, I guess we can have these. Like, I mean, there was, like, a dozen or so sodas, like, between, like, Mountain Dew and Root Beer. And it was, like, one of the most, like, energizing, like, rejuvenating things to just have, like, a cold can of soda out of, like, some random creek in Vermont. Um, and just stumble upon that midday after the morale was low. So... That was pretty cool. Uh, the second, uh, on the same trip, we actually experienced two, two moments of trail magic. Uh, the second, we were coming to a, a big intersection uh, from the trails, crossing a major road, and there was like a big parking lot. And there was this guy that had an RV, and he would like drive uh, north on the AT uh, and just stop at different junctions. And he would pull out a grill and like grill hot dogs uh, for through hikers. And so I remember, uh, just random midday, like hiking with our campers, and um, saw this guy grilling, and he was like invited us all over, and we all had like a hot, you know, hot lunch, uh, and uh, you know he basically just said like, yeah, I'm doing this for through hikers and providing trail magic. And so that was my first uh, experience uh, with trail magic, and I hope to, uh, you know, in the future, I hope to pay it forward and offer uh, trail magic to other folks hiking the the AT. So, anyways, I'll, uh, I'll catch you later. Hey, welcome back to the Three Camps Podcast. You heard a voicemail from our friend Liddy, and then that was a voicemail about trail magic from our Brookwoods director, Ben Tabone, who called in. As we pick up the second part of our trail magic episode, we're going to hear a couple more voicemails sprinkled throughout, and we're going to jump back into a story uh, about an LDP hike where some kind of miraculous things happened on the trail in the same way as we heard in part one. We're going to hear from Josh Jacarico kind of painting the scene on some of these hikes. And we're also going to hear from Beth Walker and Liz Pruitt on some of the things that go on on the trail. And if you remember from the first episode, Beth Walker does talk about kind of a, a trail coincidence of when she met AJ Andreessen who was hiking the AT at the time, but has been a big part of camp and continues to be a part of camp as Amy Johnson. And it was nice. Amy Johnson actually called in uh, with a trail magic voicemail after we kind of quick highlighted her in the first part of this uh, two part series. A big thank you from Seth and I to all the guests and the people that got involved. We're going to power through and head into this second part of this series. Episode 16, baby. Let's get into it. Okay, so jumping right back into it, we're going to have two LDP counselors, 
Savannah Bowling and Cam Grinnell talk about their experience. And we'll have Josh Jacarico painting some of the scene as we go along. So while you have two hike groups in New Hampshire, you have a third group that's up in Maine in the Mahusics. And that group is being led by Savannah Bowling. Hi, I'm Savannah Bowling. I've been at camp for 14 summers. Um, I was the LDP2 counselor this past summer. And if I had to pick top or bottom bunk, I always go top bunk. I like it because you can kind of sit up there and observe what's going on. And you don't necessarily have to like be part of it, but you easily can. So Got it. And you get an extra shelf. Savannah, you've had several roles in, on staff. Do you have a favorite? Um, I think LDP counselor is definitely up there. It was a lot of fun. I definitely missed being on the archery range, but um, it was nice. a really cool summer. So, cool. And Cam Grinnell. My name is Cam Grinnell. Uh, I've been at camp uh, 12 years, the past three years on staff. And uh, this most recent summer was uh, served as the LDP2 counselor um, with Savannah. I, I prefer the, uh, the top bunk. Um, I, my first year at camp, uh, I was a beaver. And as always, the lazy day games were the most important thing. And I was a bottom bunk and got beat in every game. So from then on out, I was a top bunk purely because there is this connection, there's this athletic component to it um, that is that is really important. Okay, well, this is a bit of a repeat answer. We haven't had a lot of repeats. When you think about only being a top bunk or bottom bunk, you think there'd be a ton of overlap. But Adam Derby kind of threw this out there that he thinks there's an athletic component to being on top bunk. And then someone else in the podcast had kind of backed that up, and now you're the third. So I didn't realize lazy day games, what is that? So lazy day games, you have the, these long camp wide games. Um, and as, as counselors, unit directors, the easiest way to divide into two teams, whether it's Thunderball or uh, POW, um, is to just say top bunks on this side, bottom bunks on this side. Um, and so, you know, I, I think there's, there certainly has to be a certain uh, springiness, a jumpiness. Uh, to be able to pop up there that yeah. um, that tends towards the top bunks. It's important, John. Okay. No, I believe you. I really do. And uh, Savannah, you back this up? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. This third group is hiking the Mahusics, which is a very uh, advanced section of the AT. The thing about the Mahusics is it's there's not really any ridge walking. It's a lot of like straight up and then straight back down and then right back up. And the first like mile of the trip is like pretty vertical. It's, I mean, like there's like, you're like climbing up ladders essentially at points. But, yeah. I remember we like got there and there was kind of like this, like, okay, like it's happening. And as a leader, I was kind of like, oh crap, it's happening. Like I'm responsible for these kids for the next six days. We got out there and we were all kind of like laughing through it. Like, okay, like we're almost through this part. And then for the next six days, it's pretty much like, mm. It's pretty similar the rest of the way. So I remember we got out there and I personally kind of had a feeling of like, what have we gotten ourselves into? But there was like a lot of excitement. It was like a lot of nervous energy. So. Yeah. With full packs, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, ridge walking is so much fun and you were sort of, I guess, robbed of that in some ways. You're just doing stairs. Yeah. A little bit. I think. <laughs> well, it's character building, I guess. We have yeah. that as a theme on the podcast. A particular moment, though, that that starts off and it kind of became a motif throughout the trip was um, as we were packing up the bags, uh, Bria Pellian 
her backpack, one of our one of our campers, was just so big. And, and she's, and she's tiny. this really small girl. Mm-hmm. And George kept referring to her as um, the little girl with the big pack or, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, as we'll see later on, there was a few points where we had to check in with George. And every single time it was, how's the little girl with the big pack? How's the little girl <laughs> yeah. with the big pack? Yeah. It and just towered over. I mean, she was always doing great. She was a rock star. I think yeah. she should get an award for how much of our food she carried that entire trip. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I've o- I only know Brie a little bit, but she seems very positive. Yeah. And she seems very up for the task. Yeah. Yeah. So day two of our route led us through what's known as the Mahusik Notch. And it's rated to be the most difficult mile on the Appalachian Trail. It's basically just a boulder field. It's a lot of like taking off your pack, climbing under things, taking off your pack, passing it over things. So it's like a really great chance for the kids to really like all work together. And it's kind of a like forces them right into that teamwork. One of the challenging parts about the Mahusiks is that there's very, there's, there's very little spots for um, exits because Um, It's not necessarily a typical section of the AT to section hike. And they had been going for a couple of days through a very rigorous area when they ran into this issue with Clara Jones and her asthma started acting up and she started having an asthma attack. And it's incredibly difficult if you're going about regular life having an asthma attack. Now put you in the most difficult part of the AT and you really have an issue there. We had about a mile and a half left to our campsite for that night. And it's pretty just straight up. It's, you kind of just go right up the side of the mountain. Um, And that's kind of where things started to go a little south. So I was kind of hiking towards the back um, and Clara kind of kept pausing to like take some deep breaths. She had her rescue inhaler. So she kind of kept, she was using that. and kind of like I talked with her and I was kind of like, okay, like, how are things? How are we doing? Um, just because I could tell like it wasn't, something wasn't quite right. Um, and so she was like having a lot of trouble breathing. As so needed. she's got her rescue inhaler. She's using it as needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of like keep taking pauses. This was the moment too where um, I was like, oh, brilliant idea. Claire, all you need is a Snickers. <laughs> so, so I gave her a Snickers and, and she looked at me and was just like, that, that, that's absolutely not what I need like, at, at this moment. Um, and so finally I'm like, okay, Cam, like, let's take like a good break. So we take like probably a 10 minute break and she's feeling good. She's feeling a lot more composed and like she can breathe again. And so we kind of keep going. And then probably five minutes after that, she just like is, she like stops and she's like, I really can't breathe right now. She's just like breathing really heavily, like kind of gasping for Mm. air, Mm. um, like kind of full, definitely full blown asthma attack. Mm. So I was kind of like, okay, like on a scale of like one to 10, how would you rate this? And I think she rated it like a seven. And so that's when I think I was like, okay, like this is really serious. Like we, we need to call George. So let me ask this. Did you have a, was it a satellite phone or was it, were you able to get so, so, uh, cell service? I don't think we had had service once the entire trip. And then it was at this moment that we were like, okay, we need to check. And so we had our phones with us and Cam and I like walked up the trail a little ways um, and turned on our phones and like had three bars each. So wow. we, for the first time, like in this trip, we just suddenly had, service and this i think this is kind of the part where like the lord really just kind of kept providing in little ways just Mm. like continuously and this is kind of the first of that i feel like Mm. um so we were able to call george and kind of like give him a rundown of what was happening um and i think he kind of advised us like check your map like see if it's going to be more beneficial to go up or down and see if there's somewhere like you can get for the night because it was starting to get late at that point and it was yeah 
so we had we we went back and um were just running through plans and i think i think we had six different possible plans that we could go with um at one point and so um but again it's that it was that unique situation where we that unique space where we had service and despite the fact that the, the whole trip up until that point had no direct em- emergency routes um, right there we were at, we noticed on the map that we were right next to um, a, literally about a 15 minute hike down from to uh, this shelter brook trail, which was about a two mile trail that led to a road. Hmm. And so we were just uniquely situated where had we gone on for another two hours, we would have been kind of stuck up in high altitude. Had we been back two hours, we would have been in the middle of the notch. Yeah. But after an incredibly strenuous day one and um, going through the hardest mile or, you know, of the AT, this was when Clara had her asthma attack. Mm. And so we were just really perfectly situated to hike down and, and biv on that emergency trail. Now, if you've never had asthma, it's, it's very hard to know what Clara must have been feeling. Asthma is very much a part of my family. My wife has very bad asthma and uh, when we were dating, there was a moment where I was driving her at high speeds to the emergency room and she was saying goodbye. And we were like, okay, uh, April, my wife, and I think this is a common way to refer to it. People talk about trying to um, do something very athletic all the while breathing through a straw, mm-hmm. um, which I think it's just, I say that for our listener to just understand that this is not, it's not just something where you can do a breathing technique and it works. You know, it's like your, your lungs are closing on you and you have to figure out you know, that's why you have an inhaler or whatever, but there are just moments where you get into an attack and it's a little scary. It's a scary time to think, is anything going to work? And so they're in, you know, communication with camp and they decide they have to evac her. And another part about this section of the Mahusiks is that there's not a lot of evac routes, but they just happen to be right next to an evac route. And so, you know, looking at all of their options, they, they pause there and they decide to evac Clara Jones and get her out of there and get her back to camp where they can monitor her and give her the care that she needs. Yeah, we hiked down two miles of the access trail. Um, and talk about, I mean, talk about here as a camp, um, some of those behind the scenes. Um, we, this was actually the first time that I uh, saw Matt Nathan Crouch uh, who would then be our coordinator after the hike, um, as well as uh, Kate Beam was there, both who were brought in at the 11th hour to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and so George on the back end had done a lot of work trying to find people who could meet us at the um, access road. And so we had waited until they got there. Um, and Savannah took um, all the other uh, group uh, up to um, what's called full goose campsite. And then I, I hiked down, um, with, with Tucker and Spencer met up with Nathan and Kate, and then they had Domino's pizza, which was great. Yeah. Uh, how was Clara? Was it, it was sad. I imagine. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it was, it was so hard because, um, y- you know, it's, it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, well, yeah, well, we, we evac'd Clara. That was kind of the plan the whole time. Um, but but this whole this whole time you have this this tension where she doesn't want to leave, mm-hmm. um, you know obviously she wants to to continue the hike, um, 
and you want that for her, like you, you really want her to continue with the group um, selfishly because she's such an integral member, member, but then also as a counselor, just seeing how formative these trips are to the LDP experience, you don't want to, um, you want to do everything you can to make that happen. Um, but then also the reality of we were only going to get more um, or further away from help. Um, it was a hard decision, but it was, a, it was an easy decision in the end. So we did want to bring in Clara Jones to talk about her part of this story. Hi, I'm Clara Jones, and I've been coming to camp for 10 years. Um, I'm always a bottom bunk in the corner because I like to um, go up against the wall, like on those hot nights when you can just like, it's so hot, the wall, it, this is a tip, the wall is so cold that like you'll feel so nice. And you can only get it on the bottom bunk, not the top. Clara was kind enough to come on and talk about her side of this story and some of the takeaways that came from having to be evac'd from that hike. It was a good lesson in like letting myself take a break. I didn't want to like leave at yeah. all. I was like, maybe I'm not going to be like going through the whole hike. And I just needed to let myself like be okay with that. That was like hard for me because I got back and I was like, now I'm just alone. No, I just needed to like stop and let myself breathe. And that sounds like, oh, actually let myself breathe and like just, I don't know, step back and realize that like I'm, maybe I'm not supposed to be hiking with them. Like this was a plan that like I was going to have to get evac. Yeah. I think I just took away that like this was supposed to happen. It wasn't like a mistake just reminding myself that like I did it I did the hardest part and I got through that and it's okay to like let myself take a break it was kind of nice Clara shared with me one of the things that had kind of developed out of this hike and uh, played out throughout the summer amongst her LDP group I think that like a big part of our group was like I don't know there was a thing that the group loved so much, what was the prayer? It was like, frustrate the things I idolize and be satisfied in God and in your life where it is. And yeah, I think that was a major thing for our group. That like, we still talk about it and I it's still like a big part of my life. Mm. A big reminder to like, just be satisfied in the now and like, you don't need to worry about the future. Do you remember when you were starting to have your asthma attack? And do you remember when Cam offered you a Snickers bar? No. You don't know. Okay, to be honest, like, I remember the asthma attack, but not very much. Like, I remember right when it happened, and I remember the end, and I remember looking at all the boys in our hiking group and their horrified faces, like, what is wrong with this girl? And that's all that I remember. I'm going to guess my reaction was like, what? What are you talking about? I don't want a Snickers. Hello, Seth and John. This is John. I did threaten to do this in our last episode, but I'm calling in with my version of a trail magic story to the voicemail. 
Um, not everyone knows this about me, but about 17, 18 years ago, when I graduated college, uh, the first job I had out of college was I was a manager for a Starbucks. And it was a town just outside Philadelphia called Yardley, Pennsylvania. I opened the store. It was this kind of picturesque Starbucks in this little downtown Main Street suburb of Philadelphia town, right on a pond, quiet town, nice town. And, you know, back then it was before Starbucks was really breaking through into New York, or I should say into the East Coast. There was stores in New York. There were stores in Boston. That was about it. So it was still kind of new to the East Coast, and they were on this uh, trend to build a bunch of stores. And it was before Starbucks was competing with, you know, every fast food chain for food, like McDonald's, and they didn't have, you know, 100,000 drinks on their menu, and, and you couldn't order online and get labels on your cups. It was just like a very pure version of you had to know your customers. You built their drinks on manual machines. We didn't just have to push buttons and... You know, I would hire staff, and the staff that I hired, we would get good because you would know customers essentially by their drinks. The goal was that they were, their drink would be ready for them, uh, you know, before they even paid for their drink if we were busy. So I would train staff to kind of be that way. We were high on customer service and just getting people their drinks as fast as possible and as well made as possible. And anyway, so uh, that was my whole goal. So we would spent a lot of time kind of learning people's drinks and uh, my wife and I went on a vacation to visit her family in northern New England northern New Hampshire Littleton New Hampshire so we were on a vacation and I was uh, 400 miles north of where I lived and we went on a hike in the uh, White Mountains in Pinkham Notch and my father-in-law who's kind of a very New England guy um didn't totally even understand or know too much about Starbucks at the time. It's kind of like, oh, my son-in-law makes coffee. That's great. So anyway, so we were on the trail, and uh, we're all kind of hiking, and coming the opposite way is this guy. And by the time he gets to me, he stops and gives me this you know, dead stare, and he goes, do I know you? And it took me a second, and I looked at him, and I said, are you a five-shot venti, one-sugar-in-the-raw Americana? And he was like, are you kidding me right now? And my father-in-law was like, are we speaking English right now? And anyway, it turns out this guy was a regular in this town that I, uh, that I had a Starbucks in. And randomly, we're 400 miles north of where he and I both lived. And, you know, you don't really know these people. You know their drinks. You spend time trying to get them their drink as fast and as well-made as possible. So we had no idea that either of us had any history or business being in New Hampshire. And here we are in the woods meeting uh, on a random day, as I say, 400 miles north of where he and I both lived. And our connection is I knew his drink. Kind of crazy. It was a fun little story. Anyway, hope you guys do well on this podcast. See ya. Okay, now, amazingly, Savannah and Cameron's story actually doesn't finish there. There's a sort of part B to this story, so we're going to have them pick it right back up with Josh. You know, an evac takes hours and hours and it really puts you behind by a full day and this was right before they were going to go into their 24-hour solo thankfully they were able to look at the course uh, make some good headway and still get a solo and so they get to a 
campsite and they're setting up and they're getting ready to do an 18 hour solo, which is pretty good. It still gets the main goal across, you know? And so they set up for all these things and yeah, now wait a minute. Just for for everyone who doesn't know, a solo is basically you're on your own. Yeah, yeah. You're allowed to have a Bible. And- so yeah, we give them a Bible, a journal, and there's a few things. So they get whatever clothes they're able to, you know, however many clothes they want to wear, and a sleeping bag, as well as a rain tarp. And we put them out there, and um, they have a pocket knife too, so they can cut the string and set up a makeshift tent. And they're not really, they don't, they don't roam. They just, they're there and um, they have water too. <laughs> and it's a time where you get to spend time alone in, in the woods, um, reading your Bible, journaling, spending time with God, um, fasting. Yeah. And it's this wonderful experience put right in the middle of your six day hike too. Um, so we'd also reworked their hike so that they were still going to get to do a solo. That was the big thing. Mm. A big part of the hike is the 24 hour solo. So it was planned that this evening on day four now that they would go out on their solo and they would do about an 18 hour solo. But we had about nine miles to go before we got there. So it was a big day. They did great. They hustled that day. And then we had a beautiful view on top of Mount Success. Um, which was like a really sweet moment for them because they hadn't had that like mountaintop moment yet on the hike. So I think that was really cool. And then we got to our campsite at Junction Pond um, and it was time for them to head out on solos. Right. Sav and I remember we we, um, we sent him out, got the spots, got him out and we were like, wow, we're, we're gonna do this. We're gonna, yeah. they're gonna have their solo. We're going to, the original hiking trail, we're actually not going to cut out. They're going to be hiking the same trail, the same distance. Mm. Um, We're good. Let's make some mac and cheese, um, have our counselor meal. We'll go down by the pond. Um, And so we're we're getting camp. I remember tidying up camp because it was about to rain. And out of the woods, I remember her walking very casually down towards us. This is Brie, by the way. So I was in the tent, like getting changed, like getting my warm, dry stuff on. And I hear Cam outside the tent go, Savannah, would you come out here for a moment? (laughs) So in like this very like trying to be so calm and casual voice, but like clearly not okay. So I like come out of the tent and I'm like, what's up? And he's like, Brie seems to have cut herself while setting up her tarp. (laughs) Cause they each get a tarp and like a certain amount of cord and their knife um, and a sleeping bag for like the night on their solo. Um, so I come out and I'm like, oh no. And Brie turns around and I don't know how much detail we want to go into, but there was a good amount of blood. Mm -hmm. Um, and Brie just kind of like, definitely was like a little white in the face. And she was like, I kind of slipped and then I cut myself and like, I blew my whistle, but the whistle wasn't working because they all have whistles that they go out with on their solo. Mm. And she was like, so I, I figured I should just come down here and Cam and I are like, no, that was a great idea. Like you did the right thing. Um, and Cam and I both have wilderness first aid training. So like, we were like, okay, like we got this, this is good. Like we'll just patch her up and like send her back out. We rinse off her finger and it was deep. Mm. It was pretty deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like kind of at that moment where I was like, okay, we could handle this. But I was like, I, I, th- I don't know who suggested it, but one of us was like, let's go down to the shelter, talk to the through hikers. Maybe there's someone there who has like better supplies who would be willing to help us out. 
they go about you know dressing the wound and one of them has the idea let's go see if there's anybody else at this campsite who can help with anything you know it, it's worth checking in on right um it's a little bit above you know their expertise so um one of them goes out and starts asking around and there just happens to be a newly registered nurse who's through hiking the at and is there and just jumps right in and is ready to uh stitch up Bree's wound like out of the corner like out of my ear that's how close it was it was literally just like 20 feet that way i had heard oh yeah i just finished nursing school um and <laughs> and then um to be able to have better equipment because a lot of these through hikers they have butterfly bandages they have really a lot um on them um and to have someone give up all their supplies for us um, and to be able to treat this was was great um and then to add to that we we went down to um to a different spot a little bit lower and was was able to get um service enough to text george which was great um and just kind of explain the situation um and determined that um we were we'd probably be able to just because it was day day night four and we only had two days we'd be able to hike out with her um and and again part of that was was brie was so devastated one of the first things that she said was am, am i have to like gonna be able to uh, continue my solo i'm gonna have to get evac'd all these things were gonna she just did not want to do that mm. um but we we're able to to keep her on the trail you know it it changed the way brie could have her solo she ended up doing that back at the campsite with cam and sav um just so that they could monitor it and whatnot and they still have a couple more days of the hike but thankfully for brie they decided since they had the stitches they didn't have to evac her so she could continue the rest of her um six-day hike which was really really awesome to stick with the group Okay, to the purists out there, we're kind of taking liberties with the trail magic term. Um, obviously, the the idea of me meeting somebody 400 miles away is more coincidence than anything, and certainly not the idea of through hikers when they get trail magic. But as I mentioned earlier, Amy Johnson, uh, who was H.A. Andreessen, uh, did call in with a voicemail. And we have to include it because it's a great voicemail, but it also does just really deal with straightforward trail magic in a great way. And then we'll keep butchering the idea. Here's Amy. Hi, this is um, AJ Johnson. Or I go by Amy now, but um, I just wanted to thank you for including me in your podcast about trail magic. Um, I wanted to um, say to Beth that I definitely remember. I'm glad you reminded me. I remember seeing that cabin. I want to say it was the Gazelle cabin, but I, I might have that wrong. Um, during my trail through hike, and um, it was very encouraging to me. You know, getting to the whites was a was a real big um, feeling, like like a coming home party kind of. Uh, a little hard to leave it and then go to Maine um, um, to finish up. But um, trail magic um, uh, to me always was about um, like um, that. Um, was alluding to kind of paying it forward. Um, although as a through hiker, I will say that you are you kind of know that you're the recipient of. Um, so I was the recipient of. Let's see, I had soda from a creek. I remember that like way down south somewhere. 
Um, one day it was like mid morning and I had come out of the woods, you know, tired and hungry. You're just always hungry, always hungry. You're just always thinking about food and when you're going to eat again and um, what you're going to eat again and how much you like that food that you just had. And you're just sort of always thinking about food. At least I was um, hiking. And so someone had put out a huge breakfast and it was like a hot breakfast. Um, and it, it was in this little field. And I remember just, um, it was just really appreciated. And I remember when that happened, I thought, gosh, I want to pay this forward somehow, um, someday. Um, I have another memory of my husband, um, who was then, um, we were dating at the time, and he left me a coffee in the middle of the trail, um, a Dunkin' Donuts coffee, and because he had, you know, knew where I was going to be walking when, and um, had, had left it there. So that was pretty cool. Um, we have a doctor that my kids use. You know, I've got five kids and they all have the same doctor and he hiked the trail a few years ago. Um, and we found out when his birthday was and were able to leave him a birthday cake. Um, and I remember we had to leave it with a note saying, I think his name was like Gumpy or something. And please don't eat unless you're Gumpy, unless it's the following date. And we had to track out which date we thought he would be there by. And then if it wasn't, I didn't want it to go to waste because, man, it's a good cake if someone will eat it. So we had a date marked on it, and um, he ended up, he did end up eating it, I believe. We found out later. But um, so lots of good memories of Trail Magic, and uh, keep on keeping on. Thanks, guys. For our final section of the episode, We've alluded to this, but we kind of want to take some time and talk about a different kind of quote-unquote trail magic, one that we're being liberal with that term and talking about kind of the transformation that takes place in campers and also in individuals in general when you're on the trail. To do this, we're going to pick back up with uh, Liz Pruitt and Beth Walker and Seth and I. If you remember from a million years ago, we started our part one of this podcast with the four of us. And to bring you up to speed on our conversation, I was explaining to Beth and Seth and Liz about something I had noticed uh, just being somebody that interacts with campers mostly around the dining hall. And some of them I have more interaction with others depending on their needs. Um, I had seen in several cases uh, kids go away for a big hike and come back and, and actually almost quite literally come back like a different person. And without going into many specifics or details, just believe me, I, I see like walls come down. I see, you know, uh, personalities emerge and, and uh, a new excitement for just kind of what's going on in the summer. Kids that might not even really feel comfortable yet will go away and come back and there's like a camaraderie. There's certainly group dynamics and cabin development that takes place, but also just, just being able to say, you know, I did this thing and, and to be back. And I think it's great when people want to come and tell me about their hike. I think that's kind of a privilege that I get to have sometimes to listen Anyway, weirdly, I was explaining this to them, and I was saying to Liz Pruitt, weird, weirdly, I saw a real transformation on campers that came back from the what we call the Bear Imp or the Bear Impala hike. Absolutely, and I think Bear Imp hike, um, that's the best one at camp, in my opinion, the three-day. Really? You have the bonds. It's it's bound to be the best hike, honestly. All right, so break it down so, for me. What happens so on... I don't... Can you go, I don't even know what Bear Imp is other than it's a trip, right? So maybe give us just a little bit on what is it? Is it a backpacking trip? So the Bear and Impala cabins are the two oldest cabins at camp. 
and it's the first it's they're typically monthers and it's the first time that the kids go on more than an overnight so it's a three-day hike it's also the first time might I had that guys and girls are hiking together which truthfully I think makes a big difference <laughs> uh, makes everyone's job a little bit easier there's typically three different routes you can do. Um, one of the best ones, in my unbiased opinion, is the bonds, where you typically, uh, you know, you start on one end and then you end over at um, Franconia Falls, which is just like a beautiful, like natural rock water slide. Um, yeah, I've led that. I've hiked the bonds eight times now, and I will say every single time, an incredible experience, and just to see. I mean, it's just, it's truly just an incredible hike. And I, I think hearing your story, John, about the camper, um, <clears throat> when I think about kind of the progression at camp, we have kind of overnight hikes. Maybe they're a little bit closer to home. Some of the younger kids will go use the treehouse, they'll go to the island, and then we kind of work them up towards an overnight out in, in the woods at, um, and then it kind of, they drop their packs and they go up to the top of the mountain and then they come back down. And then, as Liz talked about, just we increased kind of the the time and the difficulty and the challenge um, throughout the program with either the duration of the hike increases or um, in LDP, there's a challenge of you designing the hike and really kind of mapping it out and um, packing the food and planning the meals and um, and then actually on the hike, giving kids the chance to lead that. And, and when I think about just that progression over time, there's a lot of preparedness. We Kids don't realize they're getting if they come to camp for a little bit of time. And so I think a lot of times something that's been really special for me is what's beautiful about camping and hiking at, cam at camp is um, we kind of give kids who have whether they've had a ton of experience or no experience they kind of are just central like they're all going to have the same experience together and <clears throat> each of them having the same experience whether that's the same weather or the same trail or the same hiccup in the packing of the food that everyone now has to experience they they all have an individual experience but i do think there's something shared that no matter how experienced you are or inexperienced you are or how you feel you are you come and you have like kind of this centralized experience together. I think the, the power of that of it is that that experience sticks with you in the retelling. So there's like two experiences. There's the doing of the hike and then there's like the retelling and the re-experiencing of it. Um, and that I think has a lot of power too, to kind of the reflecting of what happened on it. You know, it's funny, I, you say that and I remember, I'm recalling one of our first episodes and Seth, had referenced a time where he was at a camp that wasn't ours, one of our three camps. Three camps. And Seth was saying, you know, so much of just being on the trail was, was as you say, telling it to people afterwards, like wanting to share it with individuals. And, and um, I had that too. Like I, I kind of, so Seth has challenged me and I've tried to take up the challenge, which is like, I never get on a hike, but like I get to hear about a lot of people's hikes and, you know, the older campers for sure. Cause they have a rapport with me and they can come tell me about it. But I remember even that bear cabin, like I sat down with them and they were all like, it was like an onslaught of just like, you know, these are all the things we did and here's what happened. It was probably pretty standard. Honestly, like Liz might be like, yeah, nothing happened. Like that happens every, you know, hike, you know, but in their minds, it was so unique, which is obvious, you know, but that's the power of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to the kids, you know, someone might be worried about sleeping out in the tent. Someone might be worried about like the physical ability of hiking. 
someone might be worried about the food they're going to eat. Like each kid kind of has their own, you know, worry or, or what they feel good about. And it's cool to kind of see them encourage each other on the trail mm. um, with that. And, you know, whether it's to hype, hype each other up um, or just to sort of like lean, lean on one another with, with their fears. Um, and it's amazing to see them the next day um, after the hike too, and just how much more united they are. There's this term, I worked for a, a camp out in Wisconsin. I led trips, 13 weeks of trips that summer. And the tripping director out there had, he had a, a phrase that he used. That I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody else use. I think it's his thing, but so, Norm Hoyt, this is his phrase. He said, he would call it creative tension, right? So we talked about um, these elements, right? The things that Beth was just describing and, and Liz and even you, John, um, he would say, this is the creative tension, right? There's this natural element that you can't predict. Um, and that like that adversity or um, the challenge that that brings, um, that is what you know where learning can take place and almost that you his idea was that you need this he was of the opinion that if it wasn't going to happen naturally you should introduce it i actually have a different opinion my opinion is that there is enough natural creative tension just in going out in the woods that you just let that happen and like beth was talking about a minute ago it might not even be the thing that you planned on being hard or um the tension of the day or the moment or the trip, um, it could be something totally different. So I'm of the opinion that it's it's there. All you have to do is embrace the idea that you're gonna go and do it and experiencing it and let the, the learning or the experience or even the retelling of it later, that's where the like the aha moment happens. I think there's something really like transferable about the hike you do and your panicked and scared when you're 13 years old and then your first job interview when you're you know 22 after college and then your first experience when you really have to um improvise or when you when you i don't yeah. know i just i think like there's I a mean, real connection there and i really yeah. i just i really hope that that gets preserved through just the tripping because it is it's it's any like not whether it's like the slippery tot the bowling i've applied all of them when i'm on site working weddings i kid you not <laughs> Like trip staff prepares you very well to produce tented weddings. Let me tell you, <laughs> George Bowling doesn't know it, but he's always really that hard skill. <laughs> we were just in a uh, an interview at a school uh, where Maine had to talk about um, her uh, greatest life achievement. I think was or the way the person worded it, um, and we weren't in the room when this happened. She the interviewer told us this afterwards, mm -hmm. but she, what she talked about was hiking Mount Katahdin in 2019. Um, we took our whole family and some staff up there after, um, after camp had just ended, uh, and went up and did it all together. But that like to her, you know, that was what in the moment of being asked that, not knowing that that question was coming, that's what she went to as mm -hmm. an 11 year old, she summited the highest point in Maine. And it was, it was a big day. Um, yeah. I know full grown men that have given up with inside of the summit. Um, that was one time. She, that was one time. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking a lot about all this stuff and we heard some really fun stories about people who honestly like received, we think a special grace on the trail. But I think Seth in talking with Liz and Beth, like, 
certainly there's been a part of this where we think some of that grace just comes naturally to people being on the trail together. And Liz, I don't know if I can put this to you, but we don't want to like go crazy on this term magic, but there is a version where, you know, just the idea of putting people together, people that necessarily maybe, you know, don't Mm -hmm. want to be on this trip. uh, Something changes in them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, just to kind of give you some background on the night before a hike, typically trip staff is going to the loon to get the med bags and we run into five or six of the campers who are meant to go on the hike the next day claiming different ailments or they quote unquote broke their ankles (laughs) and uh, just are not not looking forward to the hike Um, you know so it's it's uh, it's a great way to start start the trip but um, you know something that we'll do kind of the night before to ease that um, is to go to the cabins, you know, help, help them pack out for the hike, French braid their hair, hopefully uh, convince them that they don't have a broken ankle and that they're totally fine to go on the hike. Um, And then, you know, the next morning you, you wake up, you have the early breakfast. Typically it's like an hour and a half car ride to get to the trailhead and you're playing music to sort of pump everyone up. Um, you know, and you you hit the trail and the girls are still a little, you know, still a little nervous, still kind of sleepy, not really sure what's a, ahead of them. Um, you know, new campers are, they might be nervous about sleeping out in the woods or, you know, girls are nervous about the weather, whatever it is. Um, and I would say after, you know, f- a few hours into the hike, girls are pretty, you know, they're they're kind of like, what did you bring us out here to do? Like, what what are we doing here? We're just walking in the woods, you know, when are we going to get to the top? Um, and obviously when you summit, there's, it's a thrill. I mean, a lot of these kids haven't summited the top of the mountain before, haven't been exposed to that. And then the girls who, who have maybe gone hiking with their families are excited to say, oh yeah, like, you know, like that mountain over there, like my family hiked and just kind of sharing their past experiences Um, and it's just, yeah, it's always just a great, a great moment on the summit. And by the time we get, you know, get back to set up camp and and cook dinner, I mean, just the difference from the start of the day, even to like that evening of them just realizing like, okay, I just accomplished all that. You know, now we're getting to the part where they can eat dinner, um, you know, get into the tents and there's already something changing there. And then by the next morning, after you know they've they've had their night out in the woods they made it through they survived um it truly feels like a different group of kids we we all meet up back at camp and when we get back to camp we have this bonfire and everyone's just sharing stories and telling them about the six-day hike and two out of the three groups had an evac yeah and the third group had you know it, it, it's a six-day hike in the White Mountains. It's still going to be difficult, sure, but yeah. praise the Lord that we didn't have any evacs, and there's right. still things to share there. Right. Um, and so they're bouncing around stories of the little things, the big things, the big ways that God came through, mm. and how they are now just you can you can tell the energy difference between the first week and now after this six-day hike is they're not just strangers who are in this program together there's these new founded friendships that come from six days of 
trial and it was rainy misery mm-hmm. in the white mountains <laughs> and you can just tell that everyone is much closer after that yeah uh one thing that i really thought about this summer a lot with with both the six-day hike and with a allagash trip as well was just thinking about psalm 23 and the idea of he leads me by still waters one thing that i think is interesting is when you're out on the trail or on the river you don't necessarily think of those as the still waters there's a lot of trial that goes into that but sometimes being removed from the distraction of whether it's being at camp or camp itself is a remove removal from the distraction of being home and not having your phones on you and not having there's there's so many distractions and so when you're out on the trail you're even more removed from that and it just makes space for god to work Mm. he provided cell service when we've needed it an evac route a biv site water slips Mm. the nurse like bandages like he's provided everything so far he's going to provide for the rest of the hike as well Mm. it was a really neat way for us to be like okay like look like this has not worked out as we expected but like look at how the lord provided and this has been like not the experience we anticipated or expected but look at how good it was still Mm. um so i think it was just a really cool chance for and i know i think it's something i learned and i hope they learned as well just like the lord is still good um even though it's not what we anticipated or wanted um it's still it's still what was meant to happen Mm. and there's a lot of beauty in that he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. Um, and there's there's this kind of this you know we we talked about this this idea of God showing up, but but also just He giveth more grace. I mean, when when you need um, need the Lord to um, to provide, there was just this like overwhelming um, sense of His presence and sense of His you know, care and protection. Um, that and, and and that's a lot of why I think you know we talk about adversity um, breeding this sort of strength, but also um, I think that the the unique part of the tripping po- program at camp is you're you're putting yourself into these situations where you just need the Lord to provide, mm. um, whether that's just like strength for the day, um, or whether that's in some of these more extreme circumstances. I love coming back from trips and just hearing all the different groups. This is the way that the Lord provided. This is the, this is what he did. This is the grace that he gave to us. Mm. It was just boundless. By the time they get back to camp, they're all, you know, telling whatever, you know, whatever story about the snack that they had or the view they saw or the animal or, um, you know, just just sharing stories um, and just really excited to to come back to camp and, and talk about the hike. You know, I think immediate reflections from the hike tend to be a little bit more tangible items. And then by the end of the two weeks or the month, when they're at closing campfire, that's when it sort of sinks in, you know, deeper of of um, of the hike and, and what they learned and, you know, how they saw God or whether it was, you know, through another one of their friends or, you know, through the hike itself and, and the nature. Um, it's really cool transition to see. Today's episode was produced by myself, John Cooper, and a special thanks to Josh Tricarico for editing. Thanks so much to today's guests, Cam, Clara, Savannah, Sydney, Lily, Beth, and Liz for joining us. 
Um, thanks for the stories, guys, and thanks for sharing your experiences. So long, everyone. Bye. Claire, all you need is a Snickers. What are you talking about? I don't want a Snickers.